Amen. Is everyone feeling all right? Temperature okay? Feeling hydrated? I don't know if I'm completely hydrated, but um, we'll see how we go. Um, so today, I am going to speak to you about feeding the 5,000. Um, and I just want to say, this is not the most perfectly packaged preach you're ever going to hear. It doesn't have three points, it has two. Shock, horror. Um, and there's actually so much more to this passage, um, that I'm, that, but I'm not going to speak about everything, but I'm just going to speak about what the Lord has given me today. And I generally felt like the Lord was asking me to speak on what has been going on in my own life in the past couple of weeks, um, and just to kind of share that with you and offer it and pray that it encourages you. Um, so I'm going to tell you a story. I've been a, on a bit of an emotional roller coaster for the past two weeks. Um, it was based since I last preached, so it was like two weeks ago, and the last two weeks has been an emotional roller coaster. And last time I preached, I spoke about Jesus turning water into wine, and how maybe the Lord's asking us to increase our expectations and our faith of what He is going to do. And so on the 27th of July, so that's about two weeks ago, I was praying about our car. Um, our car's quite old. It's done over 130,000 miles. Has anyone else's car done over 130,000 miles? Hands up if you have. So was that a hand? No. Okay. Someone else's. Okay, good. So it's done over 130,000 miles. It's pretty old. It's got a couple of pieces of um, gaffer tape holding parts of the car together. Um, it's not in the greatest state, but it does drive. It got us to church today. Um, and so I was praying about it, and I felt like the Lord say to me, Beth, I want you to pray for two weeks. And this has never happened before. They've never asked me to do that before. Pray for two weeks, and then see what happens and so the two week on from that was the 11th of August, which was on Thursday. And so I did. I began to pray every day in the morning for provision about our car situation. And the first couple of days, I was like, yes, Lord, come on, bring on the provision. I'm so excited about what you're going to do. And like, my faith levels were high. They really were high. And that was the first week. And probably even a bit of the second week, my faith levels were high. And my plan was to not tell anyone about this, um, this little plan I had between me and the Lord, apart from Luke, who's my husband. And I was telling Luke about it, and we were discussing about when the MOT on the car was due. And so then Luke researched it, and we thought it was in August at some point, but we didn't know when. And so Luke looked it up, and it was on the 10th of August, which was the day before this plan with the Lord was due, basically. Um, and so now the stakes felt high. They felt really high. Because um, we were approaching this like, if God didn't provide a car for us, or if it didn't pass its MOT, then we're a bit screwed. We would be carless. And we live in hilly, hilly, mappily. And it's just, it's hard to get around from there. There's too many hills. So we really did need a car. And so we continued to pray. And um, as, I would, yeah, as the date was approaching this week, I would say that my faith levels were rapidly decreasing. And uh, my stress levels were rapidly increasing. Not how I wanted to be in that moment. But so much so that this whole situation that I was supposed to be keeping to myself began like leaking out of me. <laughs> I began telling people at church because I just couldn't like hold the stress and the anxiety of that situation inside anymore. And throughout the week, there's been so many thoughts going around my mind of like, what was going to happen? And so we're thinking, what if a car just appears on our driveway out of nowhere? Or what if our car 
like failed this MOT, needs loads of work doing, we can't afford it, and then we're carless. Like there was the extreme highs and extreme lows, all of these scenarios playing out in our heads. The emotional roller coaster was definitely real. And there were some moments where I'd speak to people and I'd be full of faith that God was going to do something. And then literally the next moment, I'd be like, oh my goodness, he's not going to do anything and we're going to be absolutely screwed. It was a real, a real roller coaster. And so then the 11th of August came and I managed somehow, the only MOT I could get was on the 11th of August for our car. And that was this Thursday. And I sat down that morning and I thought, well, the, it's due, the plan's due, I'm going to have to pray one last time and just and hope that something happens. And so I just said to the Lord, like, Lord, whatever you want to do, just do it. <laughs> Quite defeated, I think. So whatever you want to do, just do it. We trust you and we'll work it out. And so I drove to the, car- to the garage, it was first thing in the morning, and I gave over the keys to the guy and um, I, was like, I was like really 50-50 about whether we were going to be able to drive it away um, that day. And then there was a really painful hour after that because he said, it'll take about an hour and then I'll give you a ring. I thought, oh no, it's going to be ages. But I was like, this painful hour of just waiting and waiting for him to call me back. Um, and, I, and my phone buzzed and I was like, oh my goodness, he's, going to, he's ringing me back, ringing me back. So I grabbed my phone and like pit of the stomach feeling, you know, when you just like the anxiety rises and you're like, this isn't going to be good. So answer the phone and he just said, yeah, it's all ready. And I was like what? What do you mean? And he was like, I was like, he was like, what? Has it passed? And he was like, yeah, yeah, it's passed. I was like, really? <laughs> There's bits of gaffer tape hanging on it. Um, and I paid £35 for the whole thing. What, an, what a great ordeal. But I was so flipping thankful that God had it all in control, that he knew what he was doing when he gave me that date to pray for, that he knew how he was going to provide, even though I really wasn't sure that he knew what our bank balance was, that he knew what we needed was a car. And our car probably isn't going to last forever, but it is what we need right now. So that's a bit of what's been going on for me for the last couple of weeks. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about Jesus feeding the 5,000. But I'm really reading it through the lens of a bit of a roller coaster that I've been on. And so I want us to put ourselves in this story, put yourself in the disciples' shoes or sandals today, Think about how they might relate and how, how it could relate to your story as well. So at the start of John 6, Jesus and his disciples go up to a mountainside and they sat down and they look up and a huge crowd is approaching them to hear Jesus teach, probably see him do something miraculous. And when the first thing Jesus does when he sees a crowd is he turns to Philip, one of his disciples, and he says, how are we going to feed these people? Where should we get some bread from? And from this one question, the disciples begin to try and figure it out, to figure out a solution. So Philip's calculating how much it's going to cost, quickly realizes that he has no funds whatsoever to be able to feed these people. Andrew scurries around and tries to find some food just to like at least show we've got something. And he brings a boy with a lunchbox. The disciples are presented with a problem. And like most humans, they try to figure it out using their own resources, doing it as quickly as possible, trying to figure out how much money they had, how much food was already there. They were trying to figure it out. And if I'm honest, this is what I've been doing for the last couple of weeks with our car problem. I've been trying to come up with funds to buy a new car or funds to repair our car. 
figuring out how much money it was. And all whilst praying that God would be the one that would actually answer it, I was trying to figure it out myself. But the key to this is in verse 5 and 6. It says, When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. He already knew what he was going to do. He wasn't actually asking Philip to figure it out himself. He was asking Philip for his faith. Similarly, this week, on Wednesday in staff meeting, I was praying, listening to God, and again, I was praying like mad for our car situation, and I felt the Lord say to me, it's not a test, it's an act of grace. It's not a test, it's an act of grace. And I was like, what? I've been striving for the past two weeks, praying as much as I can, trying to make something, out, trying to make something happen, and I genuinely felt like I was trying to twist the arm of God to answer my prayer. I was trying to figure out the car problem myself. But all the while, Jesus already had in mind what he was going to do. He wasn't asking me to figure it out myself. He was asking me to have faith that he would provide. And he's not asking you to figure out your car, house, marriage, relationships, friendship problem. He's just asking you to have faith because he already knows what he's going to do. It's already in his mind. And I know it is so, so easy to say this. And when you're in the middle of a problem where there doesn't seem to be an outcome, it's really hard. It's really, really hard to trust. It's hard to believe that God is who he says he is and that he is going to do something. And you start to begin to doubt. And I was chatting to Mark, wonderful Mark, wonderful wise Mark this week about what was going on for us. It was one of the leak moments when it just kind of came out when I was talking to Mark. And he shared this quote with me um, about being in that middle place. And um, it's written by Margaret Atwood. And she writes this. When you're in the middle of a story, it isn't a story at all, but only a confusion, a dark roaring, a blindness, a wreckage of shattered glass and splintered wood, like a house in a whirlwind or else a boat crushed by the icebergs or swept over the rapids and all aboard powerless to stop it. It's only afterwards that it becomes anything like a story at all, when you are telling it to yourself or to someone else. And I know that some people feel in that place today, that they will feel confused or crushed or not knowing where God is in their story. And the middle place is hard. And the difficult thing is that you don't really know when it's going to end, that we don't know what God's timing is. The encouragement I want to offer you today is the words of Psalm 23, and you've probably heard them before, um, but I'm going to read them over to us now, and I wonder whether you could close our eyes and just listen to these words um, the Lord is speaking to you today. So Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters, he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. 
my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is not asking you to figure it out. He is with you. He already has in mind what he's going to do. All he asks for is your faith. So then Jesus is presented with this lunchbox, these fish and these loaves, and he does something really unexpected. It's interesting that God uses this boy's lunchbox to do a miracle because if you think about it, the boy doesn't actually need a miracle. He's got some food. But he was willing to sacrifice what he had to Jesus to trust him that he would do something great with it. And again, Jesus didn't need the boy's lunchbox. He spoke the whole world into being. He doesn't need the boy's fish and the boy's bread to do something. He could have easily created enough food for all these people. But Jesus is inviting him and his disciples to participate in the miracle. And it's the same with you and me. God doesn't need what we've got to work or to do a miracle, but he invites us to participate in it. It's an act of love and an act of grace. The loaves and the fishes. I don't really know what anyone was expecting Jesus to do with this lunchbox. I really highly doubt they thought he was going to multiply it by thousands. And I was thinking, do you think they would have like laughed? If Jesus would have laughed at the absurdity of the suggestion that this lunch was going to feed 5,000 people. Or maybe they thought he would give the lunch back to the boy and say, no, you have it. Or maybe he thought he would share it with his disciples. I don't know, but I really doubt that he would, they were expecting what Jesus was actually going to do. But Jesus takes what is there and he praises God for it. And then he begins to feed people and the supply doesn't run out. All 5,000 men had enough to eat. So did the women and the children that were there as well. And there was leftovers. There was more leftovers than there was to start with. I love that. <laughs> and that's what God is like. He's a God of abundance, above and beyond. He sees the problem. He takes what they've got and he feeds us. And he feeds everyone else as well. There's more goodness and his grace left. I think that is key. At the start of this chapter, the disciples are given a problem. How are we going to feed these people? But through the miracle that Jesus does, everyone is fed. The crowds, the disciples, everyone who was there. Jesus went above and beyond, and there was stuff left over. This is what God does with our stories. He provides for us, and in doing so, we can feed other people. We can feed other people's faith. And for us, I pray that sharing some of my crazy couple of weeks will increase your faith. And for some people, it'll flip the story and think, yeah, I can trust God, actually. He does provide. He is who he says he is. What we've been given is for us, but it's also to bless and encourage other people. And what are the stories that God has written in your life or he's currently writing that he wants you to feed other people with, that he wants you to encourage and raise faith in other people? It's a short one today, so we're going to finish. But the two things that I want to just highlight to you today are firstly, God already has in mind what he's going to do. For whatever your story is, whatever your situation is, God already has in mind what he's going to do. It's already planned. You don't need to twist his arm. He wants to answer. He wants to provide. He's a God of abundance. And secondly, that our stories aren't just for ourselves. 
there to bless other people with as well, to feed their faith so that other people can be built up. And so we're going to pray. I'd love it if we could stand up together. And I feel like it's quite an obvious one, but I'd love to pray for people today that feel in that middle place, that tricky place where you're like, God, are you even there? What are you even doing? I can't see an outcome to this situation. And that you feel like you're in that kind of dark, roaring confusion. And then I'd love to invite the people that feel full of faith today to come and pray for them to share stories and to build faith. So let's invite the Holy Spirit. And then even as you're thinking now, I'm in the middle place, just start coming forward and people will come and pray. So Jesus, I thank you so much for every single person in this room. Thank you that you know our stories, you know our problems, you know our situations. God, and you are with us in every place. You're with us in that middle place.